Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And they can comment back and they can share it. Uh, and yeah, that, that's, the, that's the easiest way of getting involved. RPG A Day is an annual event where creators, GMs, and players worldwide use daily prompts to inspire discussions around role-playing. This event has always focused on bringing positivity to the hobby discourse for over a decade. Now, David reveals where the idea came from and when Anthony became a contributor. Together, they share the ideas that fuel it each year and what they hope to accomplish every August. Now, I hope you follow the content created next month for RPG A Day. Hey, even better, maybe you'll even engage with the daily prompts. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with David and Anthony. Hi, I'm Caitlin Bruder. And I'm Kristen O'Neill. And you're watching Disney Channel. (laughs) (laughs) And when we're not making Thin Places Radio, we are listening to Tabletop Talk. See you there. Bye. Okay, well, perfect. <laughs> Nailed it. Got it, one. <laughs> Howdy, friends. Craig here. Today, I sit down with Anthony Boyd and David Chapman, two of the people behind the annual month of RPG A Day. Let's start with David. David is currently the producer at Cubicle 7, looking after the Doctor Who lines. He designed the Doctor Who RPG many moons ago, but he's also worked on Conspiracy X, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Star Trek Adventures, All Flesh Must Be Eaten, Army of Darkness, and his project called Wild. So David, welcome to the third floor. Hi there. Thanks for having me on. So David, this is um, our first chance really talking. And for those of you listening, this is not the last time we're going to hear from David. Obviously, when you hear me rattle off all the things David's been a part of, we need to have David on for his own episode. So David and I are already discussing that. Everybody can look forward to that. But this is you. This is your first time on the third floor, David. So you're going to be subjected to that awful question that you get on every single podcast, which is there was a day you knew nothing about tabletop gaming, knew nothing about sitting, sitting around with friends with some dice, a pencil and a piece of paper and then pretending to be somebody else. And it was put in front of you for the first time. Can we go back there? Oh, yeah. Strangely, it's one of those stories that I know really well Um, because I I was big sci-fi nerd in in my youth thanks to thanks to star wars and um i have a very distinct memory uh, of going around to a friend's house um a, f- a friend who affectionately was known as crud um it wasn't his real name but <laughs> he he liked saying it a lot a, a bit like you know drock from 2000 ad or something like that um but uh, I, I used to go around there every every sort of saturday this is during like high school, um, as it is now. Um, I used to go around on the Saturday and we used to use the old ZX Spectrum computers 
Uh, and he's used to spend all his time <laughs> programming light cycles from Tron, um, which took forever. But, you know, uh, wow. I went around one Saturday and he, and he greeted me at the door of his house and just said, we're not doing that. We're going to a, a friend's house. Uh, dragged me over to uh, a friend of ours that I don't think I really associated with an awful lot. Um, sat down in their main dining room and dug out the, the traveler books, the, the little black books. Um, so Traveler, wow. Traveler was my first real RPG experience, um, and generated a character and they seemed to know what they were doing. I'd never experienced, I'd never even heard of anything like this before. This was all completely new to me. I, I, I hadn't even heard it by third hand or anything. So I just, I just kind of sat there with my character sheet in front of me and, and kind of took in what everybody else was doing and. I was a little disappointed that it wasn't Star Wars. I was expecting something a bit more Star Warsy from Traveller, um, but the experience of it at the moment, they just sort of said, "Oh yeah, we're playing Rune Quest next," um, and that was it. Sign me up. I was, I was, I was there, and we were playing like four or five nights a week and weekends. We were, wow. just, we were just obsessed. We'd do um, Traveller, Rune Quest, AD and D, and it was a only a short hop before I bought Star Frontiers, which was the first thing I GM'd. Oh God, good old guy. I have so many memories of Star Frontiers and the, and the little chits that came with it and the maps and, oh God, it, uh, you know, people talk about with TSR where they always talk about D and D, but for me it was, it was Star Frontiers and Marvel superheroes. Uh, that's, that's what TSR was for me. God, it, it was the, it was the cover that did it for me for Star Frontiers. I, I, I mentioned this to Anthony, um, uh, last time when we were recording our introduction video, um, the, the, uh, our local game shop was, was like 15 miles away and it was hidden above uh, a picture framers with no signage at all. You had to, if you didn't know it was there, that was, that was it. It was kind of like it, you had to be in the know to know where the game shop was and went in there for the first, for the first time and saw that cover for Star Frontiers and just the, that, that Star Wars to me, I, I, I need this yeah. game. It's so cool. <laughs> it's amazing how iconic that cover is, too, because like to this day, when I see that, like I was scrolling through Twitter and somebody will post that cover again. I'm like, it just immediately takes me back to opening that box set that had that cover on uh, that had that artwork on the cover. So, David, it's interesting to me, um, you know, Traveler, wow, that's a hell of a first game. And then go writing into RuneQuest afterwards um, is uh, that's like that's like um, uh, going right into advanced RPGs <laughs> from the go. And, you know, obviously, as a kid, you, you got sucked into it. You mm -hmm. um, like many of us, you know, just couldn't play enough. Right. But now as an adult looking back, do you have a sense of what it was? Um, so why did you think it got its hooks into you um, as a kid so, so thoroughly? Oh, that's really tricky. I, th I think um, I started GMing because I have a massive like control freak thing i think going for me um but um there's a lot of gms nodding their heads right now <laughs> it's like you will control everything um but yeah uh but but yeah i it was one of those weird things where i i grew up in a very small town um and i was the one of the weird kids it was it's like stephen king's it really really resonated with me a lot um, so finding a, a group of like-minded weird kids, um, it was just nice to hang around with friends. And 
the the friends that I I started playing RPGs with back in this must be eighty three. Um, I'm still playing with now. I mean, I uh, wow. I was I was playing D and D with them only a couple of hours ago. And even though they're spread over the various parts of the globe, we're, we're still playing D&D even now. That's, that's incredible. Absolutely incredible. So, you know, David, we we know the uh, where the story, you know, continues on to because we like I said, I, re, you know, I listed off so many games that you've been a part of. But there is a huge gap between you playing six nights a week and, you know, playing, you know, these games and where you are now. And. Uh, you know, we I, we won't we're not going to cover all of it, but I do want to get a sense of, again, you looking backwards. And when you look at the several decades or the two decades, one decade, right? Right. <laughs> Between when you were a kid and now, um, what are some of the signposts for you? What games really had an impact on you um, as as a player and, and as a GM or even more importantly, as you now as a creator? Well, <laughs> As, as I said, I always wanted to play Star Wars. Um, and I had that thing where I, I, I love licensed games. Even, even now, I love licensed games. I don't know what it yeah. is about them, um, but I have a very distinct memory of buying the Ghostbusters RPG, the, the West End Games one. Oh, God. And I, I remember reading through that and just being in hysterics because it, it's it's such a really funny read and there, there was that, that little light bulb moment it's like god somebody got paid to write this and it's hilarious and it's not it doesn't read like stereo instructions like a lot of the games that we'd had before yeah um this is really fun somebody's had fun writing this i want to write that um and so this must be sort of 1987, 88-ish. I wow. dug out the old typewriter and wrote a letter to West End Games, um, got their how to submit things back form uh, and started typing typing up a manuscript for, a, for an adventure and sending it off. And it was ridiculous. It was about um, yogurt gods. It was basically Cthulhu meets weird science. Um, involving yogurt soft off, um, and um, <laughs> it was it was just nonsense. But I sent I sent it off, and these, these were the days where I had to photocopy the manuscript in the local library, and then post a manuscript off, and then wait three months, and then phone them up, which was like my parents looking at me, going, "How much is this phone call going to cost?" Um, over to New York, and um, just said, "Did you get the manuscript?" And I got this really nice letter back um, and I have a very distinct memory of it being Greg Kostikian um, from West End Games who wrote back and just said, look, we can't use this because we've just had um, a, a food related one because it had ghost toasties out. Um, but there was a sentence in there that said, well, you can obviously write, try again. Um, and wow. And so I started working on another one on the old typewriter, which was basically... <laughs> This is getting ridiculous again. Now you'll you'll laugh at this one. Um, so it was basically Back to the Future meets Dracula. So you, you okay. end up you end up time traveling back to try and wipe out Dracula because he's start. There's a vampiric plague and it's interrupted the filming of Moonlighting because and. and <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote this one and I sent it off and I got this letter back saying, "Well, it's it's good, but." Um, 
Bruce Willis is a copyrighted person. You can't use him. And so is the time traveling DeLorean. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, that, I, ju- I just got the bug from there. Um, but like a lot of people, there was a bit of a gap. Um, I yeah. went into comic publishing for a bit and, um, and then it eventually started talking to Eden Studios and because um, I wanted to do, do something comic related for them based on Conspiracy X. And um, that that's kind of refueled the, oh, look, we could write RPGs again. And thankfully they gave me a shot. So, David, one of the things that can be interesting for people listening is, you know, there there was the t- first time you became a professional creator for RPGs. And that's a really easy moment to pinpoint because it's the first time you get paid for something mm-hmm. right um but i'm finding that's not necessarily the first time you felt like a professional creator for rpgs um when when did you for the first time go like oh wow like I, i've i've accomplished this i've done something um can you give me a sense of when that happened for you when you really felt like you quote unquote made it um probably seeing the first thing in print um I, I wanted to write stuff for um, All Flesh Must Be Eaten uh, or Witchcraft for, for Eden, uh, but I hadn't actually had anything published before. Uh, so um, George Vasilikos and um, Alex Jerkat, who used to who run Eden Studios back, and this must be about uh, 99, 2000-ish, um, they said, well, it prove you can write. Do Send, send us something that, you, that, you can, that you've written. Um, so I, I wrote a complete supplement for them, which never saw light of day, which was a supplement for all flesh must be eaten called, um, summer camp stalkers and unstoppable evil, which was basically taking their zombie setting and turning it into a slasher movie. And they, they read through that, um, and just said, yeah, maybe not that, but do you fancy, um, doing some conversion and writing and editing on um their upcoming planet of the apes sort of rpg called terra primate uh and so i kind of worked on that and that was um, when that first hit print that was that was the moment it was like i I need to do more this is great (laughs) that's that's absolutely fantastic so folks anthony is a longtime friend and friend of the show. He's currently serving a pack of rescue dogs, the hosting of the Casting Shadows blog podcast, and of course, the RuneSlinger YouTube channel. He's the line editor for the Ubiquity role-playing system for Triple Ace Games. He's worked for the Design Mechanism, Timeline Limited, and some other forthcoming, oh, so secretive, Anthony, forthcoming <laughs> projects. He focuses on editing, but writes from time to time. Now, I got to say, and I think most people that are familiar with uh, this channel know that I've learned more about being a GM in just the few years that I've known Anthony than in the decades before I met Anthony. Um, He's been an incredible friend and resource for me, but most importantly, he values bacon highly. Anthony, welcome back to the third floor. Well, thank you, but I'm looking around for the bacon and I'm I'm not seeing any. And I climbed three flights of stairs. You got you got your priorities, man. You got to make bacon before the before you can eat, um, people oh, come yeah. on to the show. Um, 
So uh, everybody, if you scroll down the show notes, you're going to see Anthony's first and then following appearances here on the show, um, which will, of course, include um, Anthony's fantastic origin story. We're not going to make you go through that again, though, Anthony. What I'd like to do is talk about something that really you've been talking about a lot. Um, I have been I've discussed it with you. I've digested it. Um, and <laughs> I have um, also found myself standing on soapboxes and talking about this. Um, and it's it's a phrase that you use um, and I want to dig into it. So for those of you listening, um, one of the things that Anthony often talks about is the idea of playing in character as character. Can we start, Anthony, getting a sense of what that means? Sure. Well, I imagine it's pretty opaque from the outside. Um, I think growing up, we often talked about in character play or out of character play or, or you say something in character or you're saying something out of character, like the game master will ask if the smart ass comment you just made was in character. Did you say that in character? That kind of thing. Uh, but pretty early on, because uh, I, I just like how language works, you know, I started to feel like when I talk to you, am I talking to you as Anthony to Craig about something not related to the game, related to the game, partially related to the game, you know? Like, what are we, who am I talking to? When am I talking to them? How does that change how I speak? And uh, so that began the process of trying to kind of tease out that those nuances or those details. And so in character play is, of course, when we're, we're in the game and we're restricting ourselves, we're restricting our conversation to game related ideas. And in character as your character is when you focus in even more so that your view is only that of what the character would experience if they were a real person. So if you were them, like if you had a different personality or if you were yourself in that situation for real, what would you do? What would you think? What would you say? How would you react? And only doing that to whatever extent is possible in the game that you're playing. So it's an experience, mm -hmm. uh, just like just like your life is, you know, I think probably most of us don't walk down the street trying to imagine what the soundtrack to our life would be and willing uh, some kind of conflict into existence. When I get to the corner, I'm going to be stopped by goons, right? You know? <laughs> so you just experience what's going on. So the description of your fellow players, including the game master informs what you can imagine and you interact with it as though it were real. That's in character as character. What I like about the way you frame it is, you know, a lot of times you only hear about this talked about as first person versus third person. And what you're talking about is even deeper than that and more meaningful than that. But I, I don't want to make an assumption here. So I'm going to ask what's going to sound like a flippant question, but Anthony, it's not. Why does this matter? Why does it matter? Well, for the lucky among us who have a broader palette to enjoy gaming, I don't think it matters at all. It's just one option among many. And for those of us who have a refined palette on one end of the spectrum of play or the other, it matters a lot. Because if I don't want to play that way, that makes me uncomfortable somehow, right? If I'm not satisfied by that play somehow, and everybody around me is playing that way, and I don't know why I'm uncomfortable, it's very difficult for us to talk about making changes or me finding another group or something like that. 
or the reverse, right? If everybody I'm playing with is totally capable and enjoys playing that way, but just because of the culture of play, it just isn't, right? They want to play in a more casual way or they want be funny people, right? They want to mm-hmm. include the jokes and the, and the asides and they don't have any trouble switching between in-character ideas and out-of-character ideas. It doesn't uh, affect them in any way. But they can play in an in-character way. If I can express what it is that I'm missing, then we can say, oh, sure, man, no problem, and just play that way. So that's how it matters. But it also matters for design, right? So I like to play horror games. If if I were playing Ghostbusters all the time, there's no way I could get through an entire session without laughing as myself. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. And and that that laughter, especially, you know, what David was talking about, I was the mute on just <laughs> you know. Uh it wouldn't matter there. But playing a horror game when the game is asking me to, okay, you know, the tension's been building, it's getting scarier. And the description is flowing thick and everyone's leaning in, waiting to find out what the horrible thing is going to be. And then the game master says, but anyway, roll initiative. Mm-hmm. It dissipates that mood and it forces me. I don't have any choice, right? It forces me into, you know, the player, right? Now you can, of course, practice and you can be skilled uh, at switching back and forth. But nonetheless, that switch happens. And so as a designer, you can think about, well, do I really want to put a mechanism of play here? Or do I want to put a simpler mechanism here that will impact people less? I need the impact. I'm sorry. It's going to be there, but I can minimize it. Or this is a really gritty game. We're going to get into a lot of detail for people who love detail. So I'm going to maximize this mechanism. It becomes a choice when you're aware of the preference when you're aware of the approach it's random if you're not so that's why i think it's important it, it, something that's interesting to me about that the way you i mean one i love the fact that what we're doing is we're creating a, a, a language that we can use to have these important conversations and set expectations of play right or even challenge each other in play but in order to do that we have to have some some common understandings, which I think this does a wonderful job of. But what really is interesting for me, Anthony, is you talking about how system becomes a part of this. So I'd be curious, have you come across anything system wise that you think encourages playing in character as character? Can you think of an example? It's not necessarily systems that are light. I think that's what people think of first. They think, oh, it's got to be a a light system. But it has to be a system that connects with the particular details that you find interesting. So I like Mithras an awful lot, and I have a lot of experience with uh, weapon-based martial arts combat. So when I read the Mithras rules, I see that who, you know, the people who put them together Lawrence Whitaker and, and Pete Nash, when the people who put them together and, and organize them the way that they did, I can see that they've been through those experiences. And those rules reflect their actual experience as people interacting with other people. And so when I can trust that the rules are going to return to me things that I'm going to want to do myself as a martial artist, then I can I can kind of relax about how detailed they might be, and I can use that to inform mm. my imagination and, and minimizes that impact. 
or in you know in a ubiquity game for example when i first read about style points that was a red flag to me it's like oh no i love everything about this game but there are style points and this is a, a meta currency which i'm going to have yep. to spend you know as a player maybe out of character as a player we might have to discuss it or in character as a player by sliding a chip across the table as an analog for for my extra effort or or whatever in play i discovered that there were far more ways to do it as an analog of my expression of my action or my mood or my intensity than i had ever imagined right so it became very easy to just slide that chip across not have to talk about it as a player everyone can see that i'm spending the the style point everybody knows what it's for and so you know play goes well and uh, yeah it, um it's funny because i mean meta currency was something new for me when i came back to rpgs um and i struggled with them a little bit and one of the first encounters i had with it is uh ffg star wars right with the dark side and light side points and i struggled a little bit as a gm with it and um when i tried to pick up 2d20 i struggled there and to and the 2d 2d20 systems with this meta currency especially meta currencies where a gm is spending um it's a little bit easier with bennies and savage worlds because it's just you know the player spending it but one thing that I have found myself doing and bringing success with Anthony, and I'd like to know your thoughts about it is, and this has to do also with like pushing roles in the year zero engine, uh, spending luck and, you know, call of Cthulhu is asking the player, you know, you've spent the Benny, you've pushed the role, you've spent five luck. What does that look like? And asking the player within the game, with what was that reroll? What was that extra effort? Um, and I've had success with that. Um, is that kind of what you're talking about as far as the um, story points or style points? Yeah, um, I think I think there are those among us who would not find it easy to be in an in character as character position for that kind of expenditure. Right. But there are a lot of positions in character that they can be in, where having those tools available and having the freedom to you know paint a larger picture or paint on a larger canvas and and not be in a position where they feel like they have to ask a question like can there be like can i meet my contact here uh is it possible to do to do this or uh can i look for a bat under the bar right all of those things which some groups don't care about and other groups mm -hmm. care about very much being empowered that way helps them stay strongly engaged or dare i say immersed in in play yeah. at you know whatever stance or, or whatever approach suits them in character as author let's say or whatever completely agree so guys the insider insight series allows me to sit down with designers developers artists writers and creators and learn how they approach their work i try to understand their process inspiration, the methods for crafting their creations. We've got a lot to cover because we're going to get into what makes August special. We're going to talk about RPG a day. We'll be right back. If you're an athlete, you know, the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. 
That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This is the part of many podcasts where someone comes on, interrupts the show, and explains that you should consider paying for the content that you're listening to right now for free. That pitch man explains by giving a dollar or more a month, you not only support the show, but you allow the show to grow and improve. Here on the third floor, we refuse to interrupt your episode of Tabletop Talk with such time-wasting pleas. We pledge never to run a spot asking you to go to patreon.com and give a dollar or more a month because supporting content creators keeps the content coming. Even if there is a link in the show's description, and there is, we don't ask you to click it and become a patron. We don't waste time rambling about the benefits like early access to episodes, getting episodes without ad breaks like this, or even getting a chance to play in one of Craig's RPG sessions. Anyway, enjoy this episode knowing Tabletop Talk, despite being supported by its patrons, won't engage in such blatant appeals for support. So I think it was it was you, Anthony, that I think first exposed me to RPG a day. Um, and I know that, you know, you have become very involved with it, but you weren't there at the beginning. So I think, David, we need to start with you. So let's go back in time. If you had to forensically dig through your notebooks and dig through, you know, your thought process, where do you think it was the first acorn that ended up becoming RPG a day? Blimey. Um, it's, it's probably a culmination of like three different things at once. Um, August has always been a bit of a bad month for me. There's lots of bad anniversaries for me, which I kind of try and, um, try and block out. So I'd like to try and keep my head busy, um, during August. Um, I, everybody seems to disappear off to Gen Con and I've never been to Gen Con. So it's like, oh, everybody's having fun and I'm not. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, um, there, it, it was also, I think, um, there was a lot of negative stuff going around online about some, some bad apples in the, in the RPG industry, um, which I hoped would have improved, but it keeps resurfacing. <laughs> uh, and then on top of that, I think it was uh, sort of June. Um, I've I fell into that internet hole where somebody, uh, a, a book publisher in the UK, um, put up a thing called Book a Day UK uh, throughout June, and I thought, oh, you know, I'll always get sucked into these things. I I can do a challenge, and I started doing it. What's the first, the biggest book that had an impact on you? And it's like, oh, there's a Stephen King. And, and then it's like, what's, what's the book you've read the most? And I thought probably the book I read the most would probably be the one I'm working on, which was at the time, the, the Doctor Who RPG. 
Uh, and then I was like, no, I can't use an RPG like that. And then one was like, what was the funniest book you'd bet? I put, oh, well, the Ghostbusters RPG was the funniest book. I'd-. And then <laughs> it's like, oh, what, what, um, what do you still have from your childhood? Is that, oh, well, it's first like a D and D player's handbook. And I thought, started going, hang on, I could, I could, we could, I'm just answering the, these with RPGs. Um, and I thought, well, you know, August is coming up. I could try and distract myself by creating something that will get people talking positively because of all the negative stuff that was going on. Um, talking positively yeah. throughout August about RPGs and their RPG experiences. And I thought, I'll, I'll, I'll create this graphic. I'll, I'll, I'll get a friend of mine called Will Brooks, who does the covers for the um, Doctor Who RPG uh, that I knew um, in the the retail store I was working in and asked him if he, if he'd mind putting together a, a cool graphic with all, and I'll, I'll, I'll give him some questions to put in there and we'll stick it online. Nobody will do it. it it'll, it'll keep me busy. It'll be fun. And it, yeah, it just kind of grew from there, which was, which uh, surprised me, but, but yeah, that, that was, that was the very germ of the, of the start of it. Um, and then, it just kind of accelerated and spread worldwide. And when I ended up being too busy to come up with questions one year, <laughs> I kind of went, oh, I, I posted on the page saying, oh, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it this year because I'm too busy. And that's when Anthony stepped up and um, um, joined forces. Now, had you and Anthony interacted with each other before then, or is this really the first handshake? I honestly don't know. I don't think... As far as I'm aware, that's the first. Yeah, yeah. I think think that was it. Yeah. So, Anthony, you're, you come across uh, David saying, look, I may not have time for this. Um, you, you're not known for having a lot of free time, uh, Anthony. <laughs> so what what made you stop and reach out? My participation in RPG A Day, I really enjoyed. And I thought that the positivity aspect of it was incredibly important. And people that I talked to in my RPG circles liked it. And it always, you know, the answers as we went through the the days, even if people weren't participating, caused a lot of really good conversation. So I thought it was too valuable to let go. And I've been in that position where you've got something really cool, but life is just getting in the way. (laughs) So I thought, well, you know, He'll be back next year. So curiously, um, David, obviously, you know, well, I we should start with how long ago was this? Um, this, I think, the first year was uh, 2014. Um, so this is the 10th one this year. And if I look, um, when I look at the prompts and what you have established for August of 23, and I compare that to August of 14, what do you think is the biggest changes that's happened over 10 iterations of this in your mind? Uh, well, this year, there's very little change in between the two because <laughs> we've deliberately, because um, cause it's the 10th one, we're actually reusing the questions from, first, from the first year. So people who have been oh, with it cool. since the beginning can see how their answers have changed over the last... 10 years. Um, but it's gone through many iterations. Um, there, there was some, we, we've, we've experimented with theming it so that each, each week went through who, what, where, when, why, how, and then cycled around. Um, we've had themed weeks of 
like one on characters and one on adventures and settings and things like that. And then uh, a few years ago, we thought we'd experiment more with single word prompts, a bit more like um, some of the um, drawing prompt months that, that you have, just to try and get people involved who couldn't, who didn't want to answer questions with uh, answer specific questions, but could answer it with, with artwork maybe. Yeah, it's, it's changed. So Anthony, your perspective is interesting because there's several years you weren't, you were just a receiver um, and a participant. And then you then became part of the process. When you look over the last 10 iterations, the last 10 years, is there any particular thing you saw happen in one of those years that you think kind of became a permanent part? Um, of RPG a day, either um, mechanically or thematically or from a goal perspective? Yes and no. I mean, what David was talking about with the themes, uh, we experimented with month long themes and with week long themes or, you know, that that kind of thing. So we always wanted each month or each year's month to be different and not not the exact same thing. Um, So there's been a lot of thought about what the questions are going to be and how they're going to be phrased and if they're going to be questions or statements or single words or, or what have you. So change has been a constant. Um, but I think the thing that became clear to me was that it wasn't enough just to post, like to, to put your answer out into the world and expect people to come to you and interact with you. Uh, that very quickly leads to negativity, <laughs> I find. Yeah. And instead, the instructions started to include the notion that post, right? However suits you draw, you know, post a picture, post a, a tweet or, you know, what have you, Facebook, blog, and then go out and read mm-hmm. and specifically leave a message behind that you were there and you read it. Right. Something that's that speaks to you like it, leave a comment on a blog or or whatever. And if you really liked it, share it. And then you start to really feel connected to everybody else and that sense of community and yeah. the, the ways that we think about our games you know, really begins to shine as you go through following the hashtag or however you're going to search for for posts. You start to see, you know, people like you and What's cool is they might be generationally divided, you know, like you might be, you know, enhanced in your chronological understanding, such as ourselves, or uh, you might have just started playing role playing games this year, but you could be playing the same game yep. and having similar responses to how it was written and how it plays and, and stuff like that, even though you're separated by a gulf of time. <laughs> So, David, uh, when we were offline, we we're talking about Dragon Meat. So I'm going to give you a scenario. Um, you're at Dragon Meat this year and uh, someone you've never met before uh, comes up to you and go, hey, you're David, you're you're the RPG a day guy, right? And you go, yeah, yeah. And what is the next thing that person could say to you that lets you know that you you have been successful with this endeavor? If they're at Dragon Meat, that's, that's always means that they're still gaming, which is a good start. So they haven't been put off completely. So, so there's a win straight away. Yeah. Um, I, I think it would just be nice to know that RPG, they might have connected them with some, some 
contexts that might be either new players to play with or even industry people that might get them their their uh, their first start in actually producing stuff as well or maybe I, I don't know just something that's inspired them to keep going or keep keep adventuring that's that's all all that really counts about it all but um but yeah maybe it's it could inspire them to um to do a podcast or to start blogging or anything along those lines as as long as it as long as it encourages somebody to, to be creative then then i think it's a big win how about for you, Anthony? Same scenario. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, you know, you're, you're part of that RPG a day thing, aren't you? And you say yes. And w- what could they say to you that would be a measure of success in your mind? I think it would be something along the lines of I love this question. And they tell me what their answer was and the reaction they got, you know, why they why they love that question or, or something, something like that or or how RPG a day, because this has happened. This is a, this is a true thing. RPG a day, because they were talking about games, they started their group up again. Oh, that's so cool. uh, It would be hard not to smile. (laughs) Um, So there are people listening um, that this is their first exposure to RPG a day. Um, There's also people listening that are like, well, you know, I kind of understand this. Um, I I think I, maybe I want to be, become a part of this community. David, what kind of advice can we give that person right now? So if someone's never participated before, what's some advice to get them uh, started come August 1st? I guess the first thing is to have a look at the graphic. Um, You can find it on the Facebook page or on my blog or Anthony's blog. Um, Have a look at the graphic and then you'll, you'll see that the it's broken down into all the questions for every day throughout August. And then it's if you're planning on doing a podcast or a, um, video blogging or even normal blogging, it sometimes helps if you prepare in advance because sometimes these things can, can take up quite a lot of time um, depending on how ambitious you are. But if you just want a, a single tweet would be, it would be enough sometimes. Um, but as long as you put the hashtag on RPG a day 2023, then other people can find it, they can respond to it and they can comment back and they can share it. Uh, and yeah, that, that's, the, that's the easiest way of getting involved. Anthony, what are some blockers out there that we can, we can uh, get rid of that stops people from participating? I think the biggest one is the notion that I have to do it every day. Like what David was talking about is really helpful. You don't have to do it on the day. Share it on the day. That's great. But even that is not required. There are people who do it weekly or every other day or however fits their schedule. It's supposed to be fun. Not all of us find a marathon. So the the idea is to participate. And the idea is to put the positivity of your responses out there. And it's cool if you've got the time and you've got the, the kind of creativity, right? And you've got the good relationship with your social media tool that you enjoy making your post every day. But uh, that that first big hurdle is I've got to post. And of course, nothing <laughs> slows you down than, than that weight. And I guess the other thing is to, you know, be happy about sharing, right? Uh, when you, when you feel your voice turning into a complaint, right? Then you think there's going to be 31 days of, of griping about <laughs> whatever. And that takes all the fun out of it. But, you know, you see all those posts out there, find something to be grateful for 
for, you know, you want people to read these things and want to play or want to play with you or want to try that game or want to check out that artist or, you know, so be positive and that really helps get through it. And I guess the last thing is a lot of other people are posting. So don't expect immediate engagement. Yeah. People read RPG a day posts years later, you know, they oh, go yeah. through the whole thing and they contact you about stuff. So I think for both of you, the biggest thing for me is, is the positivity, it's positivity angle. And the fact that, that it's very clear that that is a goal and a purpose of this exercise. And, um, people have heard me get on the soapbox before that, the there, we don't need to encourage the negativity that takes care of itself, right? Um, if somebody doesn't like something, they are going to tell you, uh, you don't need to elicit, uh, criticism that that's going to, that has a, a bizarre energy of its own. Um, but for some reason it's, it's more of a challenge for all of us when we like something that when we're encouraged by something, when we're enjoying something, for some reason, it doesn't have that same impetus to tell others. And that's, I think, the thing that really makes RPG a day special is it says, hey, we're going to talk about why we love this, why we enjoy this. And if you want to go bitch that there's a million places to do that. <laughs> that's not here, though. That's not the purpose of this. And I think that that's significant. So, guys, we're going to take one more break. When we get back from this break, we're going to do one of my favorite segments on the show. I'm going to find out from David and I'm going to find out from Anthony what they're grooving on. We'll be right back. Are you enjoying our long form interviews with creatives on this podcast? Maybe you're craving deeper discussions about our guests or some of the RPG plays on our Twitch and YouTube channel. Well, I've got an opportunity for you. You see, Third Floor Wars now has a Patreon only Discord server. You can join a vibrant community of like-minded enthusiasts diving deep into every episode of our RPG plays and podcast, connect with fans, engage in spirited discussions, and unlock the behind-the-scenes insights. For just a dollar a month, access a world of tabletop gaming goodness. Connect with passionate gamers who share your love for the tabletop podcast and everything produced on the third floor. As a Patreon supporter, you also enjoy ad-free episodes of this podcast. You can immerse yourselves in captivating stories and fascinating interviews without interruptions, taking your listening experience to a whole new level. By joining the Third Floor Wars Patreon community, you not only gain exclusive access to the Patreon-only Discord server, but you also support the growth of my podcast and channels. Your contributions enable me to continue creating high-quality content that entertains, educates, and upskills tabletop enthusiasts like yourself. Maybe don't wait. Join the Third Floor Wars Patreon today and unlock a world of camaraderie, discussions, and knowledge. Visit patreon.com forward slash thirdfloorwars or check the link in the show notes and come join our community. The Third Floor Wars Patreon-only Discord server awaits you. I and the other patrons can't wait to welcome you with open arms and a fistful of dice.
Um, when I talk to creators, David, um, I am finding it to be very insightful to learn what you love as a consumer, right? What you enjoy being created by others that that really inspires you um, not to necessarily even make something, but just inspires you as, as, as somebody who's consuming what others are making. So has there been anything recently for you, David, that's really gotten its hooks into you, a game, a, a, a movie, a TV series, a, a book, um, something that got its hooks into you and, and wouldn't let go? Oh, blimey. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a tricky one. Um, Book-wise, I, have, I haven't been able to read anything other than the, the laundry for uh, a while now, uh, Charles Stross's uh, books, because um, I'm working on the second edition of the laundry RPG for Cubicle 7. Um, so I I haven't had any chance to read anything else. It's just been like that for the last six months and post-it notes in there. Um uh, other- <laughs> the, the, uh, the children of the shoemaker problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so otherwise, um, when it, uh, I don't know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what, what's been, what's been really inspirational. I mean, my, my general go-to whenever I, I need to do something else is always uh, a rewatch of X-Files or Twin Peaks. Um, those my, my two go-tos. Um, uh, and thankfully whenever everything is, Whenever anything's getting on top of me, it's to stick an episode of X Files on, and I feel better. <laughs> so, so that is why. My, I, I honestly don't know. I think it's that it's that comfort thing. Uh, I, I've been a, an obsessive fan since since seeing the first episode when it first aired in the UK, and um, there's there's just something comforting and familiar about going back to it over and over again because there's there's no nasty surprises because you know what's coming um and it's just characters i love so it's a yeah it's it's always nice and nice and comforting when you think about the elements of x files that you that you enjoy from the first time you've watched it and it sounds like the several other times that you've rewatched it <laughs> i want to bridge this over to gaming though have you been able to find something similar in any particular game that you have either been a part of or that you have played in or ran? Are there elements of X-Files that you have found in games that, that, that translate? Well, strangely, um, there was always that bit when you, you kind of fall out of gaming for a little while. Um, I, I had a couple of moments of that when, um, my original gaming group went off to university and then I, I went off to university a couple of years later to be, to, to, um, art college. Um, and then I discovered vampire and got back into gaming for a bit. And then after art college, I kind of slipped away from it again for a bit. Um, and then, uh, a friend of mine, um, knew of my X-Files obsession and, um, said, look, you need to check this RPG out. Cause I remember you used to like RPGs and handed me a copy of Conspiracy X, um, Eden's, Eden's RPG. And I, I, that's how I first was introduced to Eden Studios, and that's uh, and I, I got so obsessed with that. That's that's the uh, the the thing that I contacted them about, saying, "Hey, I want to draw a comic of Conspiracy X," because that was back when I was in 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 comic publishing, uh, yeah. and and that kind of led into writing for Eden Studios, and then doing 
the second edition of Conspiracy X. So, so, so yeah, I think think that's that's the one. But um, always always niggling at the back of the head is that desire to do an official X Files RPG. One day, one day it will be mine. <laughs> I just need that lottery win. <laughs> So, so it, what's interesting in that, uh, David, to, to, to take a bit of a right turn is, you know, times where you've taken a break, right, where you have mm. not been an active gamer, but somehow you get drawn back in. Um, what do you miss when you're not not in the hobby? It, it's, it's odd. I think the, the first break, as I say, was when everybody disappeared off to university from, from my original gaming group. I mean, there were about two two or three of us who didn't. Um, and it just kind of stopped being a priority. I mean, we, we were obsessive when we were teenagers. We, we even did like, uh, a charity marathon nonstop RPG. We tried to do 90 hours nonstop. Um, uh, and by the time you get to like day three and you're getting the cramps in your legs and you're hallucinating and you're in a kind of a deserted church hall trying to raise money for the their church roof. Um, and it's the middle of the night. It's like, I can see things. There's, they're all over me. and you're middle of playing D and D, but, <laughs> but yes. Uh, well, so, so we were, we were really obsessive and we played an awful lot. Um, and then it was very quiet and it just felt kind of lonely out there. It was weird. Yeah. Um, and then, as I say, I went to university and the first, first thing we, we stu- I stumbled across is a group of people in my, um, in my, uh, class who were playing vampire. And it was like, I remember the good old days of vampire. And yeah, I, I fell straight for that. First thing was like, oh, first, first check on the student loan was like 10 vampire books <laughs> and a load of dice. <laughs> It was like, that's it. I'm back. You, you, <laughs> you did not buy those at the student bookstore, sir. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, no. You know, what's neat for me, David, uh, you know, throughout this whole interview, when we're talking about your origin story, when we talk about RPG a day and just now, um, if there's one theme that I'm picking up from you is, is the, the idea of community and just how important the community aspect of rpgs have been for you does that sound right oh definitely definitely it's uh, it's one of those weird things that um everybody always says what why do you do it why why what would your life be without it and that there's the the strange tale of how i got my first normal job in the real world um was i ended up working for um the county council um, drawing maps for their nature conservation division, uh, and when I when I f- turn up to work for the first day, the boss says to me, "Oh yeah, well your interview went well, but it was down to two people. You got the job because you played D and D, and it wasn't because Isn't you drew, drew maps. It was because we knew that you could problem solve and you could think out think your way out of a problem, um, and so that might have not." led to me working in, in archaeology or um, going off to uni to art college, um, which was encouraged by the archaeology unit. And then if I hadn't have gone to college and gone into that gaming group, I wouldn't have met who would have turned out to be my future wife. Um, that was through playing vampire. 
Um, so yeah, if, if, if you something? think like RPGs are just, have just been at the center of everything I've done basically. So without it, I, I don't know where I'd be. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to, we're not even going to think about that timeline. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, Anthony, how about for you? Is there anything lately, a game, a movie, a TV series that just got its hooks into you? Well, I've been busy, but, <laughs> but I try. Uh, <laughs> for games, uh, let's kind of do like an old new thing. I've been paying attention to the Moral Project, which is an old game that I'm interested in uh, for discussions. But a new game is Why? a solo RPG uh, called Rectify. Uh uh, why? Let's talk about Moral Project first. Why? Why is that? Why is that gotten back on your radar? And what's what's bringing bringing you back into it? Um, I my shelves are not static. I move things around uh, to change my view of them. And uh, I ended up hearing a conversation about the Moral Project, which made me go look for the Moral Project. And that's one reason why I move the shelves around is I actually have to look for things. I don't know where they are. And, uh, so I, I found it and started to read it again and, and get back into the headspace of, of, you know, kind of a, a very detailed game with a really compelling backstory. And so that just brought back memories of playing it and brought back all kinds of, uh, ideas for the next several campaigns that I might have the opportunity to run using it kind of mm -hmm. thing. So I, I enjoy that. And every once in a while rules hit me differently than they did. Either I suddenly understand them in a way that I hadn't before, or I find them completely opaque and wonder how I ever played the game. You know, that kind of thing, which I've both experiences I think are good. And can you, can we talk about that in, in the context of Morrow Project? So what, what was a rule that, that hit you different this time? It was actually a lack of a rule. And it was something I hadn't really noticed but uh, it's, a, it's a game that has a really enjoyable kind of lengthy character creation process. And when, you, when you're finished, you really have a, a clear idea of who this person is. And, and hopefully that sets you on the path of figuring out why they would be a member of the Moral Project, which, if you don't know, means agreeing either in the 70s, the 80s, or in the 90s to being cryogenically frozen to wake up after World War III. So you're giving up your whole life on the yeah. on the slim chance that this isn't some kind of con <laughs> or that you know your freezing chamber is actually going to survive that that uh, nuclear exchange and then of course your your duty is to you know rebuild the world that you left behind i think this is really compelling but this detailed character creation process is paired with a game which if played violently will lead to very quick death of those characters. Mm -hmm. So a lot of time invested in getting ready to play, which then can be snuffed out really quickly by your choices as a player. And uh, kind of a subconscious solution that I had to it originally was troop style play. Let's make a lot of characters. Let's make a, a fully fleshed out unit from which we can draw. So when we do inevitably lose characters to something, we have an established character to draw from. And uh, that's not an active part of the rules. And so I really noticed that on this run through. And, and I cut you off, Anthony. You, there's another game that you said you've uh, that has gotten your attention. Right. So the, the new game that I've been reading and fooling around with 
is a solo journaling game. You've actually uh, released uh, an episode about not too long ago uh, called Relic. Or not Relic. It's called uh, Rectify. And what has, has gripped me about it, I'm, I don't really think of myself as a solo gamer uh, in the traditional sense of taking a solo game and playing a solo game with it. Uh, I'm one of those guys who's whatever campaign I'm in is constantly a part of, of my free time thinking, right? So I'm, I do a lot of solo play, but just with my normal game, like extending it beyond the table kind of thing. But there was something about, about Rectify and how it merges the life of the character with the life of the player and asks you to do things in the real world and then apply that to the game as fuel. Uh, I found that to be a really compelling thing to explore um, on, a, on a super special level, like how a die roll can be a punch, right? You can, you can really connect with that die roll and it's not a die roll. It is a punch. And so some of the things that this game asks you to do, like call someone up and apologize for something that you did years ago, really resonated with me on that same uh, the, the blurring of lines between your imaginary uh, world, you know, your internal world and your external world. So I think it's a, a really cool game. I am going to be very interested um, to see the ripples of Rectify. Um, I think what Shep has created there is truly unique. Um, I and again, I, I think I said this in my intro to my interview with Shep. Um, I'm not saying that this has never been done before. I'm saying I've never seen it before. Um, right. and it'll be very interesting to see where this comes up again, because I guarantee it will, we're going to see something inspired by this, um, later. And I'm very interested to see what that looks like. Yeah. It's a very, a very, um, very unique things. Gentlemen, um, there is a lot of things to do on a Saturday afternoon or a Saturday evening that doesn't involve spending an hour or so talking to me. So I really appreciate the two of you making the time. Oh, I, I don't know. Well, thank you, Craig. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and for those of you listening, this is the end. You made it all the way through, and I appreciate you doing that. Take care. episode subscribe to tabletop talk and share it with your friends check out our content on youtube and twitch follow us on twitter and facebook and stay updated on everything coming from third floor all the links are in the show notes take care floor heads You still here? Wow. Um, well, the episode is over, but if you're bored, why not go to patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month? Yeah, you can just scroll down. Scroll down and, yeah, get the link. It's Patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible. Don't you want to join the other floorheads on the Patreon Discord? Anyway... Thanks for sticking around. Take care. Bye.